going a different way. The passage we just read is all about someone who went a different way. An entirely different way than anyone would have thought that he might walk or live. An entirely different way in expressing who he was. Making clear who he was for those who would see and hear. Now if I ask you to do what I ask the children to do, I'm not going to ask you to do it in one word. Now, I asked them to do it in one, and most took three. So I'm going to ask you to do it in two. Turn to your neighbor on your left and your right, and quickly, who is Jesus in one or two words to you? Do it. Got it? Was it the same as the person sitting next to you? How many people said, he's love? A few. What else did you say? Savior? Savior. Hope? God? King? Lord of Lords? Best friend? Forgiveness? He's many things, isn't he? To explain and try to encapsulate who Jesus is in a few words is very, very difficult. Now, the the time these words were written, they would later be understood in very different ways as well. In fact, these words that are referred to as the kenosis passage in Scripture, the passage of Scripture where it describes exactly what happened when Jesus came to earth and when he returned, it spawned, if you will, an answer to three questions that theologians have had and church people have had and people who are not church people have had for years and years and years. These three interrelated questions are these. Who is Jesus Christ? What is the character of the Christian life? And what is the nature and call of the church? Now, I'm going to give you an example that one of our political candidates uh, made clear to us just recently in a, a time where they were having a debate. The debate was going along, and it was full of fire and full of action and pushing. There was a lot of pushing going on. And in the midst of all this pushing, one of the best lines of the political campaign was spoken by Ben Carson. And he said to the people who were leading the debate, could one of you please ask me a question so I could get a word in edgewise? I thought that was great. That was a great line to say because... Dominant personalities with forceful wills were forcing their agenda and naming one another. And every time somebody names you, you get to speak. Nobody names you, you're wondering if you're ever going to speak. Now, and what I've seen so far of the, of the political debates, I think Ben Carson is one of the more humble of all the men or women who have running for office. I think it's kind of refreshing to see him there. Yes, I know he's been eaten by the lions. But you know, that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is he has tried to put forward a view of who himself is. And I would say simply that I don't think he's quite as full of himself as some others appear to be. Now, we may not think that's very important, but to Jesus, I want to say it this way. This is a different way of living that he exemplified. And it's most clearly explained in this passage of Scripture we just read. For while he was in heaven, he emptied himself. God didn't make him do it. 
He chose to do it himself. Not from a position of weakness. And this is really important in this passage. Because when we talk, start talking about being a servant or being a, a part of a servanthood or becoming selfless, people in America get weirded out. I have a lot of brothers and sisters who have a lot more psychology degrees than I do. And they don't like for anybody to hear about making themselves a servant or, give, or becoming selfless. Because they want to be sure that their self-identity is strong. Now... If you are here this morning, you don't have to raise your hand. In fact, please don't. And you struggle with self-identity. If you don't have a good, clear picture of your worth and value, then this message is not for you. Because you see, what we want people to do is from a sense of strength and an understanding of who they are and how precious they are, we want them to choose to be selfless. Being selfless is not being forced to be selfless, by the way. You know, when you go to work and you clock in or write in your time, if you're not the boss of the place, one thing you know is that you're not selfless, right? You're told what to do. Everything changes. I know some people who they'll be going through a terrible persecution, and they'll say, well, I'm being persecuted, but I know since they're putting me down, God is going to lift me up. Well, let's be clear. This passage is not meant to me to mean that God lifts up all those who get persecuted. There are other passages that address that. This passage is meant to be about a person and a community called the church who chooses from a position of strength to give up their own rights and to think the rights of others are more important. That is terribly important in this passage of Scripture. If we don't get that, then we can come away thinking, well, this passage just wants people to be degraded. No, that's not the point of it. I don't think that Jesus Christ was ever degraded until it came time to go to the cross. And that alone, he also said very clearly in the Scripture, no one takes my life from me. I gladly lay it down of my own accord. There's a difference. So forced servanthood upon, that somebody puts upon you is not getting you brownie points in heaven. If that's what you're waiting for to get, well, just forget it. That's not what, what gets you ahead with God. The humil- humiliation of Christ from, becoming, from being divine to become human and to serve humankind instead of serving himself was a choice that he made. He made out of a position of strength. He decided to become flesh because the Father asked him to do it, and he made that choice. Now, that is a lot different than a servanthood that is forced. One of the things that has always bugged me as a pastor is to be rolling along with well-meaning Christians when they'll say, yeah, I've got another church meeting. <sighs> and we all feel that way sometimes, right? If you're, if you're willing to take a job that serves on several committees, I always pray more for you. Because Methodists, we're good at holding meetings. And meetings are necessary, and they're important to the church. And I, what I want people to always feel like when they volunteer to serve in a church or they answer the call for servanthood is that they're doing it willingly. And if they'll remind themselves of that every time, that they don't do something they really, really would prefer to do on a night when they have a meeting. Because you made a previous choice to serve the church of Jesus Christ. That previous choice you act upon, and it becomes a part of your servanthood to Christ, a part of your love for God. It shouldn't be something you feel you have to do. If you feel like you just have to come to meetings and you don't want to come to meetings, then you should get out of that, out of that committee, out of that task force, out of that group. 
I know this is very dangerous speaking to three or four out there. I just want them to know I'm not speaking to them. <laughs> I kind of am. But I'm speaking to everyone else too. Servanthood in Scripture is not about being oppressed. It's not about being uh, gender pressure from one class of humanity to another. It's not a matter of being forced into servitude because of the color of your skin or because of where you went to school or because of who you are. Servanthood in the Scripture is talked about most of the time from the viewpoint of what what someone chooses to do from a person who is a person of strength. It becomes critical in the life of pastors if they don't learn how to make that distinction early on. Because if their life is always about, well, I've got to do this because I'm the pastor and I have to do it, they are going to become a miserable, angry person before it's all over. If you don't choose to be used by God and used by others as a pastor, then you're going to have a very long vocational experience. You're going to become bitter if you're not careful, and you quite frankly may lose your faith along the way. Now, having said that about pastors, let me make clear to you, I believe that's also true for every Christian who is called of God to follow him. If you want to be a Christian but you don't really want to give of yourself, then you might want to think about becoming Buddhist or Hindu or some other expression of faith. Because in Christianity, at the heart of it is the emptying of yourself to live for others. That's why the great commandment has two parts. You must love the Lord thy God with all your heart and your mind and your soul and your strength. But you also must love your neighbor as yourself. I would say... In the words of Paul, it means you must love your neighbor more than yourself most of the time. Now, I'm not talking about some kind of sickness. I'm not talking about some kind of degenerative action or living where you act in such a way that you never take care of your own needs. I'm talking about the general approach to your life. I'm talking, if you will, about an attitude. So if you ask me the two words that describe Jesus, I would say a servant attitude, a selfless attitude, either one. I think that's more descriptive. I think it's because of love that that attitude is expressed. It's because of that attitude that Christ was able to love even those who were persecuting him and even taking his life. And if you can't give that attitude away, you're either still in the process of getting to that point or maybe you got on the wrong boat. Let's let's talk about children. Loving your children. Everybody understands that. You understand that baby. Oh, my word. When you get that first baby and you just put that child in your hands, you go, oh, my goodness. Look at this warm little cooing, popping their lips child when they're hungry. And they're crying because they're dirty or they're hungry. Or maybe they're a little cool and they want to feel your body. Right? They're so sweet. They grow up. They get a little louder. They make more messes. And then what you've been hoping for all along and to your greatest fear, they learn to walk. And once they learn to walk, you just thought you were busy before. And then they become two. And a strange thing happens inside that little body. Whatever you have, they want it. Unless you offer it to them, then they don't want it. You want candy? I'll give you candy. No, I don't want it. No, I don't want candy. No, no. I want to hug you. No, come give me a hug. No, 
Okay, I don't want your hugs anyway. Okay, I want to hug you. It's as natural as breathing that we go through this process of rebellion. And that's okay for children. We bear with them, right? We bear with them right up until they become teenagers. Then we give them games so they can go off to their room and close the door, and we won't fight all the time. We'll schedule first round, second round, third round. You know, let's fight next Tuesday. Uh, pick the topic. Uh, but hopefully as you get older and you get to those teenage years, you are beginning also in the sense and feeling of rebelliousness that you have, which is natural. You also begin to realize that you can make choices with your own life. Occasionally, there are even choices that are opposite than what your parents tell you. You get to choose. They can't control you. I often tell parents, I know you think you're controlling your 16-year-old. Come to my office and let's talk about it because you're really ill. And they'll say, what do you mean? I said, well, you're really ill, but I'm in control. I said, oh, no, you're not. How do you know I'm not? Because I see your child when you're not around. Your child who's grown up to be a teenager has a mind of their own, and they are already exercising it. Now, they're not dumb enough to completely defy you unless you push them too far. Or unless it's on a really bad day. Or if it's on something really important to them. And they could be wrong. But it's natural for them to do what they're doing. And they are away from you much more now than they are with you. Do not be deceived. They get to make their own choices. So I don't like churches that tell people what to do too much either. I know it's fashionable in some circles to tell people exactly how they need to behave to be Christian, exactly what they need to be, would be doing, but I don't particularly care for that kind of a congregation or that kind of approach to faith because I don't believe it's biblical. I believe the biblical way is for people to make their own choices to serve God, and everybody's on the road to where they're going to be. All spiritual growth is relative. I think I'm a much stronger Christian than I am now, but I still have a long way to go. When I look behind me, I see victories in my life and then when I look ahead of me I see things that I didn't even used to know were a problem and now I know they are and it will be that way until I breathe my last breath on this earth if you think you're ever going to be so there that everything is right you don't need to make change anymore you don't need to repent anymore you're falling off the boat don't do that you're constantly working at your attitude. I'm a lot more selfless now than I used to be. Am I there all the way? No, I don't think I am. I'm not there all the way. I'm there for a lot of times, and some days when I know I'm not there, I don't come to work. People say, what do you mean you don't come to work? I say, I stay home. Why? Because at home, it's just me and God. Or I might go play God. golf. Why? Why go play golf? Well, because then I don't, I don't have to put up with anything from the guys I play golf with. I can just irritate them or or let them irritate me and then tell them what I think. If you can't play golf with Doug that way, then you don't get to play golf with Doug. That's the way that works. Because that's one of the the few times I get to do what I want. And I get to do what I want at home. Unless Sally's there, of course. (laughs) So, you see, everything is relative. Everything is relative. And that's the way life is meant to be for us. What's important is the attitude we have inside ourselves. Now, One other thing I want to say about this passage of Scripture, there are about 10 sermons that can come out of this passage of Scripture, and this is a very general one in order to prepare us for celebrating Holy Communion in the midst of this Lenten season. And that is, two things are going on here. First of all, there's the individual ethic of spiritual humility. Had this attitude in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, and that's important. However, on close look at this Scripture and this passage of Scripture, 
It's not primarily about that. It is rather primarily about this. You've got to go back to verse 1 and 1 through 4. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. This passage is primarily about the church, the Philippian church that Paul started, nurtured, and who was conflicted with interpersonal disagreements, with church disagreements raging within it. And these are the words he wrote to the community of the church. We're to have like-mindedness and we're to have an ethical behavior of being selfless for ourselves. Yes, and that's always a struggle. But what must always be a certainty is that the church of Jesus Christ exists for others and not for themselves. That the church of Jesus Christ and within that body, they consider the interests of one member as more important than their own. We must always be that way. We must approach the world in that same way. We must if we're going to really be the church that's going to live on until our Lord returns. I want to say one last thing about this passage. If you're out there trying to witness, like I know some of you are, and you run into people who don't really, they don't really uh, have a, a, a full example of Christ, they're not really Christian or they're barely Christian, or they belong to another faith, you need to remember this, that this passage is a very critical passage because it says Jesus, who was God, came to earth to become human. And as a human, lived perfectly so that we might be saved. And then he went back to be exalted by the Father in heaven. And he sits and reigns forever and ever. No other faith, no other religion, no other expression has that except us. No other Savior arose from the dead and was seen by many others before he went back to the Lord. We are unique, and we must humbly find a way to communicate that message to people who in the day and age in which we live just don't believe it. They're being deceived because it's so easy to believe there are many pathways to heaven. There are many ways to please God, and there are many ways to please God, but they all come from the same tree of those who are seeking to follow the Lord God who asked Jesus to come to earth to save his people from a Savior who said yes and to a Holy Spirit who inspires us all now. We must never give that up, for that is the community of the faith to which we belong. Gracious God, I pray now that we might each look upon our hearts to see how our servanthood is doing, to see where our attitudes are in terms of those who are not saved, in terms of those with whom we work in the church, in terms of those of whom we are in relationship with, with whom we have different opinions about different things according to the work of the church. 
We pray, Lord, that we might really look deep inside to see if our attitude is in the proper place. And if our hearts are one with yours, ready to empty ourselves in order that we might serve others. We're thankful, Lord, as we come to this table of the one who emptied himself for us. Hear our words of confession. Receive our spirits of repentance and encourage us that you are alive and living through us as we give ourselves away to others. For it's in Christ's name that we pray these things. Amen.